I think there are two considerations that were articulated in this NCSC rationale. There's the outright security one, where they go, now that they're having to source uh, chips from more obscure yeah, places, potentially, yeah. um, we lack the ability to be confident that we can assess these new chips. Yeah. For, and I think that's... I haven't got a problem with that rationale. The, rash, the, the second one is security apparently of supply. Apparently neither is Huawei, apparently, according to Ian Levy, who wrote that blog. He right. said his conclusions are pretty much enough. agreed with by Huawei. Right, yeah. OK. Yeah. Um, yes, and Huawei's tried to get around it by saying we've stockpiled stuff and we're good yeah. for a while. And they even said we'll make a special concession for Vodafone and BT yeah. and, and keep, a, keep a whole warehouse which is a, Which is a dodgy argument in itself. We'll, well talk yes. about that in a minute. Yes, but. OK. Hello and welcome to our second podcast back in the studio. Gosh, it's exciting. Um, and we've got the usual suspects. We're doing this on a Thursday because Jamie's going to Wales um, this weekend. So we're doing it a little bit early. Uh, getting straight into it, what we're going to chat about. So this might be, we're probably going to have to head off with Huawei again. But this might be the last week we have to do that. We'll see. So because we've finally had some momentous news. What was that? Doubt it. Doubt it, yes. Well, Once they yeah. get banned in Germany and Italy as well or whatever, then we'll, well be talking indeed. about that. Well, yes. But uh, it's certainly a, a, a sort of uh, inflection point in the Huawei UK narrative. So we'll start off with that. Then we're going to do Jamie wrote a story that Samsung reckons it's got 6G nailed. And we can talk about that and whether we actually care about 6G at all. Uh, and then we're going to finish off a story I was writing about today. It's a bit sort of technical and arcane, but it's very important to do with data privacy, um, especially with internet giants, what happens to your data when you stick it on a platform owned by an American company. So that's that. And just to remind you that if you're watching this on the website or on YouTube or on Facebook, you can also listen to it on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and loads of other platforms. We haven't got any beers this week. That was just a one-off. Thanks oh, for that. I, I have got something, actually. Oh, you got, you, all right, you kept that quiet. They're not beers, quiet. though. They're not beers. Oh, what if you brought in some... Brought in some I was going to say they'd be lukewarm right now. Brownies. You brought in some chocolate brownies. Oh, that was Home, your lunch, wasn't it? Homemade chocolate brownies. No, I don't know. Homemade chocolate brownies. They're... Um, no one's got a glass of water. They're all different me. shapes because they're sort of broken up a bit on transport. And, but <laughs> yeah, you're really but selling it to uh, me, mate. Well, they're, they're good. They're not made by me. I, I should yeah. hasten to this this point now. Who are they so, made by? My wife. Okay. Right. Well, I, I better um, not be rude about them then. So. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for that, mate. I might. I might not actually chew on it while I'm talking. If that's all right. Well, I think you should. Right. Sorry. Otherwise, mate, it defeats sure. the purpose well, of no, having food I want to. I want to fully yeah. appreci- appreciate their magnificence. Thank you. Uh, there you Jamie go, Jamie's up thank you all at once. I love the okay, thank you. slightly scabby looking one. <laughs> um, it's part of an edge that's falling apart. Uh, I think. You, you've totally thrown me off now with your brownie talk. Oh yeah, so we're just getting Better on than with Huawei. That, um, yes, Huawei. Um, I wonder if they bake brownies in their spare time. Not, not this week, I suspect. They might be taking it up. They might have a bit of spare time on their hands, <laughs> exactly. I suspect, after this uh, week. Um, so, I will... I'll head it off. Um, so basically, we finally got this announcement. So we, we announced at the start of the year that Huawei gear could play a part in UK networks, but only in the RAN as opposed to the core and only 35% market share. And that at the time, I thought, I certainly editorialised it as like fair enough um, because our our boffins had had a look and they reckoned even if you know, even if Xi Jinping's popping around Huawei HQ every day to ask them what the Brits are up to, they reckoned they had the expertise to protect us from any potential security vulnerabilities in, in Huawei kit, which it should be stressed, Huawei always insists don't, don't exist. Um, and then that was six months ago. Obviously, quite a lot has happened in the intervening six months, a lot of it to do with China. Um, incidentally, on a political basis, we've obviously got coronavirus, which uh, incidentally... I don't know if Pierre can catch the full magnificence of my T-shirt here, but I think this uh, expresses how I certainly feel about coronavirus, and and so presumably does Metallica. Um, So we had that, and and that originated in China, and that led to to argy-bargy, and then we got things like Hong Kong, where China's not being very nice to the Hong Kong people, and and that's leading to... (laughs) That's an understatement laugh. 
Um, he said, spitting out bits of brownie across the studio. Um, uh, but more importantly than that, in May, the US decided to, and I'm sure we must have chatted about this at the time, to come up with this new rule that says Huawei can't buy any kit that's got even got US intellectual property in it, basically, which primarily affected semiconductors. So the chips that, that you get in not just phones, but obviously networking gear as well. Um, and that, it seems, precipitated this review by our security boffins on whether their ruling in January still applies. And earlier on this week, they concluded that it doesn't, that because of this US move in May, they can no longer be sure of two things. One, that Huawei will even be able to continue supplying kits for for the lifetime of contracts and to the sort of mid and long-term future. And two, they said that we don't, we no longer have confidence that we can... I know, all the foam's properly falling off the walls. Well, it's just got rubbish little double-sided sticky tape on it. It's just a poor effort. Anyway, um, uh, our security people said, look, with, with this new stuff, with Huawei having to go off and source chips from random third parties or maybe even make them themselves, that they won't be able to... Um, they can't provide the assurances that they did in January because of this US decision. And you know, before I ask you, because I know you covered it as well, Ian, my my conclusion about that, having read the rationale, was, and I was ready when I was writing it, my headline, which is terrible, any aspiring journalist shouldn't write their headline first, but my headline was... Sort well, I don't of, know, sometimes it focuses your thoughts on the actual story. It does, but then you can end up... If you're not disciplined, you can end up selectively chasing facts to justify yeah. your headline. Anyway, well, no, it depends if you thought of the story before. Yeah, yeah, you structure it and then come. Okay, up, well, yeah. let's let's see let's see how it applies to this one. So, I'd written the headline, um, basically saying that it was a bit of a fudge and and it was sort of unconvincing rationale, um, and it was just basically a cover for a political decision, which mm. I still believe might be true but then when but then when i actually read the rationale to change my headline to say that it makes sense because it does seem plausible to me that so basically the, the question they had to answer is how come how come it was all right in january and it's not all right now yeah. that's the long and short of it yeah and the reason it's all right in which january, i think is the thing that's been missed by some of the mainstream press maybe right uh, covering it in the uk as it's very much a uk story it was even dominating bbc headlines for over a day i think yeah or jamie um, you were on the bbc weren't you jamie was on the Kept bbc quiet, talking you? about it so um but it's but the the mainstream opinion and and i think even the spectator written opinion piece on it in the yeah. last few hours that i read was very much that it's about you know, it's almost like they haven't recognised the change since January, and they just see it as caving into Trump. Yes, and and I think there's an element of that definitely, and I've no doubt in my mind that I don't know that, that people like Mike Pence is it, and you know Trump's other lieutenants have been coming around, continuing to put pressure on the UK to yeah. do what it wants. But I'm sure Pompeo. that's happened. Pompeo, yeah. Yeah. Pence, Pence doesn't really do anything, does he? Pompeo, sorry, yeah, um, but. I think that's an element of it. But then obviously there was this big move by the US that we've talked about a few times before earlier, you know, back in May, not that long ago, to tighten up those sanctions against Huawei and basically prevent it from using, you know, before it was not able to get semiconductors from directly from US, you know, component makers made on US soil, it turned out, because they found loopholes that allowed them to keep being supplied from offshore yeah. facilities. And now it's all about... You can't get semiconductors that that are made with U.S. manufacturing equipment or design tools, basically, yeah. which is a much bigger deal because it affects companies like TSMC and uh, you know it's, it's a big supplier to to Huawei. And it seems yeah. And what about people like of, Applied Materials who produce a so lot of the kit that you find in so that's, fabs? And that's one of the problems, as I understand it, looking into it, is that the the likes of TSMC and then even SMIC, which is a kind of Chinese alternative to yeah. TSMC, although apparently not quite as capable. But those no. big foundries, all seem to be, one. they all seem to be heavy reliant on US uh, manufacturing equipment, yeah. which either comes from Applied Materials, Lam Research or Teradyne, as far as okay. I'm aware. There aren't really very many alternatives to that. The other issue is that the... There's something called electronic design automation software that's used when you're actually sort of setting out the, the layout of the chips. Yep. And that's really important as well. Huawei uses that, but it, the people that are sort of actually making the chips use it too. And that all seems to come from three US companies as well. I think Caden Synopsis, and I can't remember the other one off the top of my head. I think it's German, but it's still kind of mainly based. It's, you know, headquarters are still in California. So 
And Huawei's, you know, not made any secret of the fact that it's those are those are you know difficult things to get around, and it's gone on about you know yeah. survival's the main focus and. You know, they've been quite dramatic about it and they've not actually been able to provide an immediate response. It's obviously a difficult thing for them to deal with. You talk to analysts, they're saying they could run out of components in a year and, and be in a really difficult situation. So the UK decision partly reflects the fact that Huawei could become a, a much less viable supplier yes. of equipment in the next year. Now, there's an argument about whether they should be taking a decision over that. Is that really a security well, that, issue? Uh, yeah, I'd like to bring that up because we were arguing we the toss a minute ago. Yeah. So to frame... To frame that debate, I think there are two considerations that were articulated in this NCSC rationale. There's the outright security one, where they go, now that they're having to source uh, chips from more obscure yeah, places, potentially, yeah. um, we lack the ability to be confident that we can assess these new chips. Yeah. And I think that's... I haven't got a problem with that rationale. The, rash, the, the second one is security apparently supply. Apparently neither is Huawei, apparently, according to Ian Levy, who wrote that blog. He right. said his conclusions are pretty much enough. agreed with by Huawei. Right, yeah. OK. Yeah. Um, yes, and Huawei tried to get around it by saying we've stockpiled stuff and we're good yeah. for a while. And they even said we'll make a special concession for Vodafone and BT yeah. and, and keep, a, keep a whole warehouse which is a, Which is a dodgy argument in itself. We'll, we'll talk yes. about that in a minute. Yes, but. OK, good. Um, but the security supply one I pushed back on just because... Yeah, they're saying that they're saying that we should ban Huawei because we can't be sure that Huawei will be able to keep supplying operators. Now, my view is that's not the domain of the government. Outright security and the role of this Huawei center to to um, oversee security is the role of the state. But you know, if you're one of the four MNOs in the UK and you hear that Huawei will no longer be able to supply you within a couple of years, then you make a business decision on that basis. You don't have to wait for the government to make that decision for you. So my feeling is that that latter one is overreach on the part of the state, but you're not necessarily... Maybe it is, because you'd think that the operators would be sensible enough to know, as people who run that business and have expertise, that if this company isn't going to be viable, they're going to have to switch to other companies anyway. Therefore, the UK telecom networks are going to be safe. I guess where the regulator gets involved is it feels nowadays, you know, 5G's, you know, it's talked about in terms that it's economically game-changing and... We're all a lot more dependent on broadband and mobile services than we ever were, especially with coronavirus. So I guess they feel they need to get involved because it's so that strategic a critical, resource thing, which is you know yeah. you, you made the comparison with something like water or another sort of vital utility. Yeah, but although if it was a water company, then presumably they'd have the intelligence to work out mm. that they need to. If they, if go there was some a Chinese supplier, supplier that, that had run out of pipes, so it's a difficult one. But I can see why they want to get involved for that reason. Yeah. So yeah. So okay. So. But but we definitely both agree that on on the basis of no longer feeling confident that they can assure um, the security of Huawei kit. That's so. So I think I I ended up concluding because I I, I not only analysed that but I also had a look with a little bit of help from our our Chinese correspondent, our China correspondent, should I should say, not Chinese, um, at the Chinese response. Although he is Chinese. Yes, I know. <laughs> I know, it's just, if you say China correspondent, that's a journalistic thing. If you say Chinese, yeah, yeah. you're just describing him. Yeah, yeah, no. Which is, China, uh, yeah. so I'm trying to be professional. Yeah. Just help me out here, mate. It's a struggle. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but he obviously helped me um, with the, the Chinese press yeah. response. Um, oh, I d- yeah, so I wasn't aware of much of what the trip well, was. Well, no, well, so, so it was quite... The sort of making a fuss about it. was quite it. muted. Um, right. The... The sort of mainstream stuff as manifested through uh, Xinhua and Global Times, I think it is, yeah. pretty much just focused on Huawei's response, which is that this is going to set us back. You know, we're going to be shit at, at 5G as a result of this. Right. And basically the UK shooting itself in the foot, um, which is fine. Obviously, it's a one-sided because it doesn't, it doesn't fully represent the, the difficult choice we made between what is undoubtedly... a uh, uh, an industrial setback, um, excluding uh, uh, arguably the leading supplier of this type of stuff, is obviously a setback. Yeah. However good a job um, Ericsson and Nokia and maybe even other people like Samsung do of filling the, the gap. Um, but obviously, when you know... Well, I don't think Samsung can really fill the gap. No, I think it's more no, or ruled we, out. Yeah, well, we chatted about that last week, didn't yeah. we? Like, they're, they're not really 
there's no legacy stuff going on. That's there. the problem. Yeah. Um, uh, so yes, they, so they didn't represent that. But I thought, okay, that's fine. And then there was one one other. I forget the name of it. There's another Chinese paper which I'm assured is more tabloidy and more nationalistic and a bit more shrill, which started talking about how China's got to inflict pain. China Daily. Which Maybe was, that's it. China Daily yeah, or People's Daily stuff, or right. something like that. There's yeah. a lot of people's stuff. Yeah. It's amazing how much the people own in China. Haven't they done Any well? Any totalitarian state yeah. always has they a like a bit of people's. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like North Korea is like the yeah. People's Republic of Korea yeah. or something. Or as democratic it? in the name of the country. Yes, exactly. Yeah. They protest too much. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, they got a bit more shrill and said how China's got to inflict pain on the UK and yeah. make us suffer for our impudence and all this very haughty chest beating authoritarian stuff but even they at the end of it are going but let's not get too carried away because yeah. once the dust, dust settled and we got over this Hong Kong stuff and the UK realises they don't really care about Hong Kong which just seems to be what China's assuming we're going to do yeah. uh, which I hope we don't obviously um, then we've still got to do business with them so my point is there was I thought there'd be more fire and brimstone and, and wrathful stuff and vows of vengeance and all that sort of thing than there was which i think the reason i brought it up is i think oh they play the long game though china they do play the long game which is very very wise of them um but i think on the whole the uk state and i don't often say this has probably played a blinder because the yanks seem happy yeah even i mean bt just sort of came out with a press release saying do you know what it's It's, not that bad it's not a big deal well, this is the thing, isn't it? It's the uh, the operators made a big deal about how difficult it. Was. Now, I'm not saying it's not difficult to do a swap, um, but I th- they all. It's the same. You know, if someone comes along and says they're going to destroy your house because they need to build a railway line, how much compensation do you want? You go, oh, well, this is going to be a real hassle, isn't it? It's going to, you know, and you drive up the case. You, you make it. You make it out to be a, a, a problem, and, and the operators are just doing that. I think they probably slightly overplayed it in terms of mm. what it will actually cost. And Especially Vodafone, which got a bit... And I think the government excitable. actually... The government did a good job of getting around that by doing two things. You know, it, it sort of... The, the cost that, that BT and Vodafone together last week were coming out with was £2.6 at least, yeah. and potentially quite a bit but more. But £2 of that was Vodafone, wasn't it? £2 billion, Vodafone, £600 million, yeah. uh, BT, which BT's already reduced to £500 million. Uh, A lot of it's to do, I think, with the time scale. You know, if you, yeah. if you give them seven years, potentially, then you're talking about a process in which you'd already yeah. have a natural swap happening anyway. Vodafone, interestingly, hasn't come out and gone, well, actually, now that you've given us five to seven, you know, seven years, rather, we're, we're actually now thinking it's going to cost this much. And I suspect that a lot of that's to do with the fact that they still have a lot of European businesses that are heavily reliant on Huawei. Yes. They don't want to. They don't necessarily want to downplay how difficult it is to swap it out. Yeah. And they're also they're also now angling, according to the FT today, they're now angling for a sort of free tranche of spectrum in the uh, in the next Some 5G kind of award. So they've got a reason there to sort of make it out to be as as difficult a, th- a thing to do as possible. But the thing is, the thing is about BT, and <clears throat> this is one of the reasons I think they're downplaying it, is that you look at what has happened over the last three or four years and their share price has gone for what if you like twenty fifteen it was like four fifty close to five hundred yeah. and it's absolutely crashed to about a hundred already. So there's gonna be a lot of investors that are quite you know, a little bit sceptical, a little bit sort of like icy about the sort of the BT business itself and probably looking for a reason to change a lot of management figures. Um, and the last thing they want to do is put another uh, you know, cat in the bag and say this is going to cause absolute chaos. Yeah. So I think I I understand why Vodafone has taken a you know this is really bad for us because they want to discourage the decision as much as possible. But I can see why uh, BT from a corporate perspective have said it's not actually that bad because they don't want to scare investors any more than they already are. Yeah, definitely. One, so, thing, one thing I'm curious about. I with, think you should eat your brownie as well. You're the only no, person who hasn't I eaten wait a brownie. The end. I don't want to get my mouth all stuck up with brownie while I'm trying to talk. Man. <laughs> Um, hasn't been a problem for Jamie so far on the podcast but uh, Jamie I wonder what you think I've written before about um, Vodafone making a a loud noise about the downside of this Huawei thing do you think they've got a bit of a tightrope to walk regarding they don't want to push back too much on security considerations or they might seem borderline unpatriotic do you think there's some, some pressure on them to at least appear to give some ground on this stuff um, yes and no. I mean, it's I'm. They'll be somewhere in the middle. The the you know 
Vodafone said two billion uh, because they're trying to discourage that. I I think they're trying to discourage the government from going too far down this path, um, and it probably would because they've got a seven-year window. Um, mm. And BT has gone, uh, so it will it won't it won't cost more than uh, what did he say? He said between fifty and a hundred million more yeah. than their original five hundred uh, million. Yeah, uh, although they've changed that now. To that's, that's completely, uh, as far as I'm concerned, um, that's wrong. I mean, there's absolutely no chance that, you know, going from a 33, 33% takeout to a, or 30% takeout to a 65% takeout is going to mark you up from 500 million to 600 million. Yeah. Um, Although now they're saying 500 million. Yeah. Now they're saying, saying, now they're saying, saying no it's not going to cost at all. I think, I think you're right in that there was, um, there was equipment which was coming to the end of its life cycle during that seven year period. Yeah. So they've already written that off and they've yeah. not written that into the five to 600 million expense. Yeah. So that's how B, one of the other reasons BT can sort yeah. of like the, the difference. And I suspect Vodafone in that two billion um, still had uh, a New lot equipment. of equipment yeah. which would have been not have come to the end of its natural life so it's a yeah. write down on that equipment but, but this is the confusing thing about this though isn't it that that you know people in Huawei's camp always want to sort of make out the, the bill to be as much as possible so they tend to sort of view it as just this is the actual cost of taking things out whereas the other, yeah, we're going to bring him up again. We always end up referring to John Stroud, but he must be feeling quite good at the moment because a lot of his analysis that he's tried to do over the last few weeks is about well, actually, the incremental cost yeah. is not much more because equipment generally needs replacing every few years anyway. So, yes. so if you have a swap that's you know seven years potentially, then you're not really talking about more than you'd have to spend anyway. I mean, Christ, by the time we get to 2027, we'll be talking about 6G. Which I shouldn't bring up at this stage because yeah, that's the next don't, topic. But, don't steal our thunder. But, um, yes. Well, I think Samsung thinks we will. Anyway, I'm doing it now. Um, so yes. So those those are all good points. I so but that led me to conclude, and I don't do this easily, as I'm normally quite instinctively hostile to any anything the state does. Being a dirty right winger that I am, um, I think the state played this one pretty well. I think they've. Uh, they seem to have placated the Americans. They seem to have placated BT and Vodafone to some extent, although Vodafone said that we're looking into it, yeah. so they might still have a bit did of Did they moment. say they're looking into it yeah. today? Um, no, yesterday. They did uh, yesterday. There was, a, there was a statement from them going, we, we, we're properly, we want to properly get our head around it. Right. Um, I don't think those are their precise words. Something um, like that, though. Something like that. And... Uh, and then, and then even the Chinese don't, aren't totally throwing their toys out the pram. Yeah, they might be doing though. You never know with but, the Chinese. But I just think all things considered, when it had to, when it had to um, somehow balance these three competing interests, yeah. I think it's probably done as but, good but a job. But maybe as it the could. Chinese I, is I being... think it's done terribly. All right, go on. I think it's got politically and strategically outmaneuvered by the US, and it's having its foreign policy dictated to it by the White House. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. So, so I, I, I just can't see how this is anything more than an utter failure from DCMS. Um, they, they allowed Huawei to participate in the network six months ago, and then all of a sudden um, strategic and administrative hurdles have been put in place by the White House, and they've been forced into a complete yeah. U-turn. This isn't um, a, UK, a UK decision. This isn't proactive. This is the UK having its foreign policy yeah, and its disagree. domestic telecoms policy dictated to it. So it's come out, it's come out, uh, yeah, you'd like you say, yeah, it's come out plus, uh, and it's sort of maybe dampened um, any sort of uh, negative response. But this shouldn't be viewed as anything more than a significant net loss. But maybe they don't have a choice. That's the pro problem, though. They have, they've been dictated to. But yeah. They're not in a position of power. You know, if the US can has, a, has the ability to go, look, we're going to put these sanctions and these restrictions on Huawei, and we can cripple them in the way that we're, we've done with this, with this, with these later sort of tightening up of the rules that we've been talking about. Then maybe they've just done what other European governments are going to have to do at some point, but and they haven't yet done. I, d I completely agree with you, but I cannot see how that this is that is creates a positive situation. No. I, I mean. Uh, I think this should be marked up as an absolute loss. Well, There's no... I don't see any positive coming out of so this. So I'll stress my point is, given the situation they were in, I think they've managed the situation as well as they could have. The broader context that you talk about, I agree with. I think, uh, I think the US is being very overbearing, 
it basically forced our hand with this May decision. But I think the, the May decision having been made, they probably come up with the best response to it. I don't know that, but yeah, okay, fair enough. But that's like turning around and saying, well, you know, I broke my arm, but at least I got a really nice plaster. No, it's not because because you have to because you have to you have to acknowledge the situation you're in. However much it, you how much yeah, but this is that that's assuming that this is like the the government is sort of, sort of like there's no strategists in the government trying to predict and sort of like uh, create um, sort of like war scenarios and reactions over the last couple of months because anyone could have seen this coming. I mean, they they put sanctions on the supply chain what like two three months ago. You know, this is this is something that a lot of people should have seen coming. Um, so, do you think we were wrong to with our original decision back in January? I think um, I, I thought the decision was right at the time, and I still believe that the risk can be managed. Um, it, I, I I agree that it's becoming a lot more nuanced uh, and a lot more difficult with the edge being pushed out. Um, further, sorry, with the core being pushed further and further out to the edge. But all that says to me is that instead of inhibiting certain parts of the industry and cutting down competition and cutting down technical technological options, look for a way to make things more secure. And one of the ways we can do be more secure is if we heighten encryption. Um, you know, that is something that we haven't really spoken about and governments have tried to tackle and say a limit in the US. They're passing a new law uh, or a new bill which has been tabled in Congress, which is which is going to inhibit um, encryption techniques. If you, in, if you encrypt as much data um, as possible, you make it much more secure. I yeah. mean, there, there's no way around that. Um, you know, you just turn around and you say, the only way to, to combat that is going to be scaled uh, quantum computing. And that's years away. You know, you, you break end-to-end -end encryption with quantum computing. Are there, are there downsides such as cost and or um, data rate from increased computing? I don't think so because it's... Um, it's factored in as bog standard in WhatsApp. So why aren't we doing it then? Why aren't we doing? It? I mean, if you the majority of traffic that does go across the internet, I think I think the last time I looked at the stats, it was something like fifty, sixty percent of the data which does tra uh, travel across the public right. internet is encrypted. Like everything from there's different types of encryption. Like um, so, Google doesn't use end-to-end -end encryption, but Facebook and WhatsApp and um, Microsoft Teams does. Right. And then you've got okay, so quite it's like... it's not an app-by-app -app basis. You're yeah, not, you're not app saying app on basis. the network, you're saying each on app. The yes, yes. Okay. I mean, and, and that's another way that you that you remove responsibility as well because, you know, telecommunications companies are predominantly hardware companies, much like Samsung, um, Ericsson, Nokia, you know, all these companies are hardware companies. They like to say to themselves, look how great our software is, look at all of our end-to-end -end automation. They're hardware companies who are playing, you know, they're, they're playing to be software companies. Yeah. Um, give the encryption off to the guys that really know what they're doing and secure the networks. But then there's, this goes into a whole other argument, like intelligence, police force can't access uh, the data, so they mm. can't uh, they can't track down paedophiles and so all that. Chat. You know, that's yeah, the yeah. that's that's the argument that's holding back encryption. But that's okay. Something and so, that hasn't so would been you then would you then approve of wholesale? banning of Chinese apps in the West on the grounds that we couldn't be sure of the encryption, that, that it would be secure? Um, no, I, I, I wouldn't. I don't approve of banning these sorts of things anyway. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I mean, to be perfectly honest... in the honest, name of security, if, if there's... You know, if WeChat was really popular in, in, in the West, or obviously we've got things like TikTok, I don't know what the implications are for video sharing, but... You know, if if you're saying that you shouldn't have anything to worry about saying something on WhatsApp or Signal, would you ban? Would you whatever. ban smoking? Would I ban smoking? Would you ban? Would you make smoking illegal? Would you make alcohol illegal? Certainly not. Not smoking. I wouldn't make. I'd make very few things illegal. No, I, I, that that's detrimental to you. But the government seems oh, that's mate, all right. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a libertarian. I wouldn't ban stuff. I'm just testing your argument about um, encryption being a solution to the security Encry problem. But the thing is, like end-to-end -end encryption, um, when it's applied properly, it's that, that 
the, 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 the sort of point you're making there about Chinese um, uh, um, sort of applications is slightly redundant because end to, the way end-to-end encryption works, not even WhatsApp can see your message. Right. So this is why that there's a mass they're trying to block in uh, through certain legislative pl- paths, um, block the introduction of end-to-end encryption because WhatsApp turns around and says, we can't help you because the software that we've designed is so good we can't get in. It's basically yeah, an incredibly complex mathematical equation which can only be solved by a supercomputer. But because you know a message transmits in, what, a fraction of a second, you've got to get in and out before it's received and the other device uh, sort of logs that there's something dodgy going on here. So without you know supercomputers, it's yeah, impossible well, to do. I'm sure you're right. I, I suspect that logic would fall foul of the yeah, but it's Chinese, so it's dodgy. Uh, sort of rationale. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, if you if you they can't encrypt, do anything about that. There's nothing you can do. There's at the moment technological pla- uh, compute power has not gone far enough that it can break end-to-end encryption, which yeah. is why you've got all these laws. So I don't understand okay. why that hasn't been more of a uh, more of a factor in this debate. Fair enough. Before I move it on, in you got any other thoughts about this this week's Huawei developments? Um, I just wonder what what comes next in Europe. I guess really, I suppose, right. and you know the broader. So France are being the, France are being quite less effective. Well, the, the, but the point that you were making about the government shouldn't weigh in with a decision about something that is not you know security in the way that you've just been talking about mm. with Jamie and encryption. But actually, is this company able to carry on providing yeah. decent quality equipment? And we know where it comes so from. So that's a consideration just for everyone. The components though. might run yeah. out. You know, that's something that I'm sure. These people aren't stupid who work at operators. This has occurred to them. I mean, you talked to them even, you know, when we were at MWC last year and this whole US campaign was getting going then and people were worried about things like stockpiling and inventory in the, in the sort of operator community. So I'm fairly sure that, you know, companies like Deutsche Telekom and Telefonica and Telecom Italia and some of these other big European players that have used Huawei in the past are now looking at not necessarily what the government does, but... Do their own procurement teams think it makes sense to carry on using Huawei? You know, as they yes. start to roll out 5G, and it's a critical time now. Obviously, if you're gonna, if you are gonna make a decision about taking Huawei out of the network, the time to do it is between the, you know, the transition between two generations, which is happening now. So, I just wonder whether this is going to trigger some sort of the fact that the UK's done it and. You know, people are seeing what BT and Vodafone are having to do, both of them being quite reliant on Huawei, whether it sort of emboldens other moves other, you know, in other parts of Europe, yeah, well, to be honest. And not necessarily at government level, even. The, um, other, you know. the other thing you've got to consider as well is that this was a, an incredibly important strategic blow for uh, the US. Um, because of what Huawei, what the UK means to Huawei. It's not just, you know, realistically, you look at the size of our network and it's what, like each operator has about 18,000, 19,000 um, yep. masts. Uh, we're a fairly densely populated island. It's not really that big a deal. Uh, you know, there's there's markets out there where they could make a lot more money. Like you yeah. think of the, the sheer size of Germany. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's going to be a, what, each of them have got, what, like close to 40,000 yeah, masks each. It's yeah. a lot more money there. But if you, th- this is the operational heart of Western Europe for Huawei. Now, not only have you got to, uh, uh, have they lost the, 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 the business of the UK, they've now got to shift effectively. Unless I mean, they might remain they, they might remain as their headquarters, but they've now effectively got to shift a lot of their business operations out of the UK, like the administrative and the the, the operational side of things. So so it's a it's a it's a strategic blow as well because Huawei's HQ in West is. Western Europe all, is London. They've already yeah. got members of the British establishment bailing, haven't they? Yeah. Brown, the, the BP guy, whatever he does now. He yeah. pretty much anymore. quit on the day of the announcement, yeah, yeah, didn't exactly. he? He kind of jumped ship as he saw it going down. Well, because I mean, people were quite rightly taking the piss. They had all these, they call them the knights of the Huawei table, because they had all these well, there was a guy from BT before as well, Mike Rake, is Rake, it? Yeah. yeah. They're absolutely core members of the British establishment, yeah. all knighthoods, all... Yeah connected up the yin-yang and they're all on this Huawei board and everyone was was quite rightly talking about how you know Huawei were going which which lord should we buy today yeah anyway one of them's bailed uh so that, and I think he was the chairman of their sort of non-exec yeah scenario he was former yeah he's formerly BP yeah he was BP back so, in the day yeah, yeah I don't know what he 
what his but he was out hands before, on job is. He was out before the sort of deep field thing. Deep, deep yeah, water. Yeah, he quit. I can't remember what it was. There was some deep personal. Water. Deep water, yeah. There was a personal scandal with Brown. I only know remember from the Mark Wahlberg film, really. Mm. Yeah, he bailed a while ago, but deep it was, water it was horizon. something to do with, horizon, yeah. something yeah. To do with, it, with his private life, I think. I can't remember what it was, so I better not yeah. speculate. Because he's probably still got enough money to sue my ass. Maybe. Uh, so I'll leave it there. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yes, next generations. Jamie, um, Samsung sort of put out this thing, this white paper going, we're already thinking about 6G and we, we reckon we're pretty handy at it. Can you just give us a summary of what they said? Yeah, I mean, effectively they try to imagine what 6G actually is and the, the how it would be delivered. So they haven't actually said anything particularly revolutionary. You know, they turned around and said 6G is going to be faster, it's going to be lower latency, it's going to be more reliable. Um, you know, it's it's going to be more energy efficient, it's going to be more spectral efficient. Um, so that, but you know, we're going to have to change the network. We're going to have to change the way we deliver signals. So they actually came up with some interesting ideas. Like, for instance, um, they said, you know, you're going to have to go into the terahertz spectrum bands uh, to actually deliver uh, the, 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 the experience that 6G needs to be. Does that um, give coronavirus? No. <laughs> it's even worse. It's even worse. So that's really the reason we need to get off 5G. But then um, they also turned around, um, but they said, you know, obviously propagation is a massive issue for 5G and millimetre wave. And we're talking about, you know, millimetre wave is 28 gigahertz up. When you go into the 100 to the 1,000 gigahertz, then you're going to have some major problems. getting around the corner, isn't it? Yeah, but they, they, they presented some interesting uh, ideas. One was RIF, I can't remember what it is, um, the acronym stands for, but it's basically... It, it's effectively putting mirrors on on buildings, right. and that that that'll effectively bounce signal around corners, which is fine, good idea. A bit old school. Um, the <laughs> the other one was actually using um, sort of like re re reimagining how you. Uh, manufacture a smartphone so it not only acts as a user terminal for you but also a relay station between right. base uh, between base stations which is actually a really really intelligent idea oh, the the, yeah. the sort of mobile um radiation gives you head cancer yeah they're gonna love that one aren't they but then there, there was other things like they were talking about yeah you've got to you've got to like the edge needs to be built out significantly because with you know such data intensive and high bandwidth um uh sorry high, high capacity um uh sort of applications you're gonna to have to have a new compute model where less and less compute is actually on the device and more is on the cloud but then you also need to get latency down to less than one millisecond mm. you know there's a lot of there's a lot of things that need to be um thought about and it all made perfectly a perfectly good sense but my issue with the entire thing is that it's it's completely and utterly redundant for the moment like you can you can have all of these wonderful white papers and all of these fantastic ideas, but there is literally zero point in it. Like you got you got to you got to say what is the purpose of building a new G, a new you know the the sixth generation of of mobile te- um, uh, technology. Now, the reason for for five G was four G was start was projected to hit its speed uh, ceiling. Like so, you need a new G so that you can deliver more data, yeah, faster data. Yeah. Um, so that um, and you know that only came around because the network's deployed, and you actually figure out what the pain points are mm. of 4G. So the pain points of 4G informed the creation of 5G. Yeah. Now. We haven't even deployed And everything's 5G. built on the shoulders of the previous one, just like 4G exactly. existed because mobile broadband and 3G was shit. Yeah. And then they made it work But I guess the, the, the research for these things goes back a long time anyway. It's like, you know, the, the cycle is generally sort of every, every yeah, 10, every 10 years, years. So you know, they less sort of know, that, as, think, as Jamie was just inferring, they, they kind of know what they've been able to achieve from their wish list in this generation. And yeah, some of but it I'm, I'm just, just thinking 5G, the research for 5G goes back quite a long yeah. way. You know, 4G was probably just getting rolled out because for, for the first 4G network got switched on in the UK, I think, in October 2012, 2012 by BT, EE, as it was then. Yeah, but that's, and then, but that's slightly misleading 
because it was switched on first in the US two years before. That. And it was switched on in the US two years yeah. before. And then so they had the two, they yeah. had two years of understanding. Yeah, but, but it's on. still a pretty short time yeah. scale. I mean, yeah. we're talking about nine years and then they were being turned on last year for 5G. So the discussion about 5G would go back a long way yeah. and the research goes back a long way. And it's, at the first, it all t- it's all... I mean, I'm sure some of the early paths they went down turned out to be, you know, cul-de-sacs and... This, this isn't going to go anywhere, and you just start making explorations. But, but this is what this is what you have to do, and, I, and this is what I worry about the sort of the land grab for six G is that um, you know the 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 everyone associates G's with just making things faster. You know, yeah. you you can get your face, you can the 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 bounce is lower, the the you can get the pipe is bigger, the pipe yeah. flows faster, everything is faster, 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 and a G doesn't have to be about speed. Yeah, you know, Certainly we were not. talking about this before, like you know, two G to three G wasn't about speed; it was about the implementation of uh, mobile broadbands. Yeah, and then they realised that actually 3G mobile broadband is awful so we got to reimagine what mobile broadband is and that's 4G yeah. and then you go right okay now we've got the pain points we got you know we need the ping to be faster we need the pipe to be wider we need to get more uh, we need it to be faster flowing there's the pain points for 5G so that's the yeah. so you need to build that and i i sort of worry um that um uh, that you know you, th- you, said, you, well, you said earlier you're setting the cart before the horse well i think it's almost happened with 5g there's an argument yeah. it's or, it's already happened because as you say 2g was was you know proper mobile phone voice calls on a digital part digital network yeah. 3g was mobile data for the first time wow that's great 4g actually all 4g did was sort out the fact that 3g was pretty shit yeah it wasn't yeah. actually a very good technology yeah. so a lot of people actually say 4g should be called 3g it's almost like they just <laughs> sorted it out 5g's come along and gone oh let's do something even faster and a lot of people are now saying well, hang on a minute are the are the applications there do we need it to be that much faster 4g's doing pretty well you know i mean yeah, okay. We know that things like holographic calling and all these well, well, whizzy yeah. things in the we future know, might require a lot more. We know in two years' time, let's say, that application speed is going to, or download speeds are going to have to be so much higher than they are today. Yeah. So this is all about getting the network in. So it's a, it's a migration from 4G to 5G, which is seamless, as opposed to getting to the 5, 4G ceiling and going, oh, Uh-oh. wait a minute, now yeah. we need something better. Yeah. Um, but then, but I mean, this is and yes, the flexibility needs to be built into it. But this is what I my my issue with talking about six G at the moment is that no one's actually properly experienced or created products for five G. Yeah, it's yeah. the the idea of um, Uber. Like, how many people thought about Uber in twenty ten when four G was first being uh, deployed in the US? Yeah, no one. A, a very small number of uh, innovators, and then they created this 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 um, product, which has largely defined um, the the four G era. Now we're we're talking about what services, and maybe it's holograms. Maybe holograms will define the five G era, but we don't actually know. I mean, cause, mm. well. I mean, you guys might be a lot, might have better ideas than this than me, but there's a lot smarter people out there who are playing with the technology. Even smarter than us. Yeah, who are going to come <laughs> up with ideas that we can't even comprehend at the moment. Yeah. Um, because everyone looks back at Uber and goes, well, that's a really obvious idea. Well, okay, if it was so obvious, yeah. why didn't, <laughs> why didn't, you, why didn't you come up with it? Um, so so are, we putting the carps, are we putting the cart before the horse with 6G? And the analogy I used in, um, when, I, when I was looking at it is, um, you know, you've got to be flexible enough going into, uh, you know, build enough flexibility into the systems and the, the standards to start with before you develop it any further. And it's kind of like um, playing golf. Now, you... you, you you take your tee shot and you slice it off to the right-hand side. Now, you've gone into the wooded area, but you know, for instance, that there's a few clearings in there. You're about 150 yards from the green, so you just take your seven iron straight out of the back. Now, you you are making that assumption without understanding the conditions that the ball is in. You know that the seven iron can right. get you to the green to 150 yards, which is exactly what Samson is saying, is that we know that you know 6G could be this fast, and this is going to be a pain point in the future that we need faster. Well, hold on a second. You might get to the ball, and it might be plugged. 
um, oh. or you might have to go under a tree, then or you, you need, might have to you run wedge, out to the side. Yeah, you <laughs> he said pretending he knows anything about golf. <laughs> I played it on the computer. There's numerous different scenarios that could be presented when you actually get to the ball, which inform your decision about what club you yeah. take out of the bag, and that's exactly what six she should be. You know, once we've actually got to the ball, i.e., three to four years' time, when four, four, uh, 5G and uh, 5G use cases have been mass deployed. Then you start to turn around and say, well, actually, do you know what the biggest pain point for us is? Our networks, we're, we're buying so many credits to get to be um, carbon neutral. It's becoming lu- ludicrously expensive. So actually, energy efficiency and, uh, is, and lowering, our, lowering our electricity bills is the big consideration for the next generation. Yeah. So all of a sudden... That entire G should be focused around how do we lower the cost? How do we make more efficient um, radio antenna and haulage systems and sort of devices that can actually lower the cost of transmission? Now, that could be the next G. Why not? Yeah. Why, you know, it doesn't have to be about speed. That'd be like a sort of eco-friendly golf club to fit it into well, the yeah. previous metaphor. Yeah, you know... <laughs> How, not, how not, can, not very exciting. Great, <laughs> great, exciting. great, great for the, it's made the out environment. Of bamboo or something. It's uh, yeah, but it's. I mean, the the business consideration for three G to four G was that well, mobile broadband is terrible. Yeah. So no one's adopting it and using it, and we're not mm. making any money. So we need to make a technology which people actually adopt. Yeah. Great. The but, the the mobile consider the business consideration for four G five G is that we've got all these massive ridiculous services. We need to um, deliver more data and we need to deliver it to them faster so they can use it and buy more data and become more dependent on the digital economy, therefore buy more unlimited tariffs. I, I, I think it could be that. It could be something like energy efficiency, like I you think say. It could be. But I suppose from the operate from the community, you know, telco community itself, they want the G's to be you know, they've always. Seen, I mean, 3G itself, when it came along, and and they started to actually push the the, the moniker out there, if you like, because I don't ever remember 2G being sold to people as That's 2G. Yeah. Whereas 3G, you did start to see billboards going up. Yeah. 3G has arrived. Mobile data well, is and here. Three, you know, and three even it. used its yeah. name based on it. And and then they've sort of carried that on from there. They want to position it as something that really attracts consumers and that allow that maybe is going to be a revenue so this is the thing analysts have always come along and gone or investors have come along and said is this next g a big revenue opportunity and you know and then 4g probably was because it sorted out a lot of the problems that 3g Mm. didn't and like you say it gave rise to uber and it got the you know that transition to data revenues rather than voice revenues happened during that period 5G now, people are sort of raising questions about whether it's really going to do anything. And they're talking about enterprise services maybe being the big thing, but no one really knows. If 6G turns out to be energy efficiency, then important as it is, it's a bit of a sort of, Meh. you know, it's a bit of a, yeah. Yeah. From, from a, from a sort of investment, can the operators really make a lot and of money from, out of this and perspective? From a marketing point of view. And from a marketing point of view. But as Jamie says, view, it depends but, on the but culture. But it might be. If, if it by might 2030, be. Yeah. everyone's maybe completely the obsessed different. with tree hugging, yep. then that maybe, maybe is the thing. One thing, a couple of things I want to say about, 5G. So we've spoken plenty. In, no, 5G and then leading up to ah. new Gs in general. Mm. Um, I just wrote a piece that's, that seems to be getting a lot of traffic for some reason um, yesterday about Verizon getting told off for misleading advertising about its 5G. And the reason it's misleading, because Verizon's got very fast 5G, but as, as we know, as we know, with 5G, um, I suppose in general, um, speed and so capacity and coverage are kind of inversely proportional, aren't they? Mm. The fatter the pipe, the higher the uh, frequency you have to use, so the shorter the range, and thus the lower the coverage. So they've been getting in trouble for that, um, for basically implying that you can get it anywhere, whereas a recent open signal thing showed that I think about 0.5% of its users actually have access to 5G, which is by far the lowest. Um, so this is one problem with talking about the just the mobile broadband part of the 5G triangle is, yes, it's faster, but hardly anyone can get it. So it's a bit of a waste of time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and if, and if you're going to keep following that up to 6G, surely, you know, unless they come up with a completely revolutionary technology, like a way of, of using um, uh, wave frequencies, spectrum, um, that, that overcomes this. And I know we've got things like... Uh, um, beam forming, which which are meant, which are designed to combat that. So so that's that's one thing worth pointing out. And then there's the other two parts of the triangle. There's the 
there's a sort of massive machine type communication which is arguably not anything unique to 5G at all. No. But then the absolute killer one which to me has always has been the case for a few years is the low latency thing. Yeah. And you know immediately you think low latency, you know, I could I could, I don't mind if I've got to wait a minute before my phone rings, but it's not about that, is it? It's about um robotics and and remotely controlling things and things like autonomous vehicles. You know, if you've got autonomous, totally autonomous vehicles that are reliant on constantly pinging bits of data backwards and forwards between each other so that they can anticipate when a car's going to steer and you get all this Tron stuff going on. Show my age there. That really is low latency <laughs> Tron. Well, you couldn't even see them turn around corners in Tron, could you? It's like yeah. Pac-Man. <laughs> yeah. If you want all that to happen, then you've got to have low latency. And that's the properly futuristic, interesting stuff. That's where you have got a whole new generation. It's not just fixing stuff that was wrong with the last generation or doing a bit more than the last one. It's, it's actually totally new. Um, but the problem they, the marketing people have had with that is it's, it's very hard to sell to consumers, which is why it's a mainly industrial thing. Uh, as I've always said, as a consumer, you could have sold gigabit LTE to me as 5G. I would have been like, yeah, yeah, it's ten right. times faster. That's fine yeah, to me. Yeah, because it's one more. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's seems an order like, of magnitude like 5G more. to me. Yeah, yeah quite. Latency might come into the consumer, I suppose, with, you know, things like um, gaming, some gaming yeah. applications well, that's, and, that's and maybe holographic calls. I know it sounds can, far-fetched can you the moment, but who knows. Well, bothered, can you elaborate on holographic calls? Yeah, you'll love calls. it, mate. You'll be standing there when your daughter's grown up and living in Australia doing a holographic call in the living room. You'll think it's great. <laughs> so, wait, well, how does that work? I haven't heard of that yet. Holographic calls, where you actually get the sort of person projected yeah, into like your living Princess room. Like Princess Leia in Star Wars. You know, like, yeah, oh, I mean, Princess Leia in Star Wars. We, kn- we know nothing about the device yet. It's just a concept. Oh, yeah, no, no, it's, it's just a conceptual concept. stuff. Okay. I mean, the Vodafone's shown it off. They did, they did a demo that <laughs> Jamie was about to go down the shops. Where, it was actually really good. It was well. really good. With, like, oh, the Captain stage, England women's yeah. football team mm. on stage doing keepy-uppies with a little girl. But that could have been with fiber, right? a ghost in the room. Huh? You're going to do this at home, right? So you could you could just use fiber. Well, okay, this is the, this is the, this is a thing. <laughs> but there's yeah, there's, there's, that's a different argument. Unless it's in your mobile of, phone uh, out on the street, it comes yeah, out. Yeah, there's lots of there's when lots of we start reasons to argue talk. about that. But I, you know, it brings up it sends it off on different tangents. <laughs> sorry, it? sorry. No, it's on but the it, contrary, Pierre. It's good. <laughs> it's good to have someone who's not totally sort of in the weeds the whole time. Perspective. So yeah, so those are just a couple of things, and and then six G. So what? Certainly six G. I don't think 5G as a fatter pipe thing is very compelling at all, um, at least in part because of the, the range. It might just be necessary, though. It might not be compelling, but it might be necessary well, no, But let's, let's say you can now stream 4K video. You've still got to be in one of those rare circumstances where you've got a 5G signal in order to do it. That's yeah. my point. But it's more about capacity, isn't it, really? Like the quantity yeah. of usage on a network. Even That's just people, everybody using YouTube on the bus or whatever yeah. means that you need more capacity on the network and therefore 5G is needed to support that. So, But how much, how much does 5G address capacity rather than... I think it addresses it massively, quite a lot. doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. It's like so a really efficient like... technology. They can do it more cost-effectively. Right, so this is it's all at the a, core. No, I don't think no, it's just in no, the no, core. No, no. It's talking about you, you need the extra spectrum. You right. need the extra, you know, the, it's a much more efficient technology to run on a, a cost per bit basis. Yeah. It's a far more even efficient over, way of doing it. Even over low it. frequency. Yeah. yeah okay, it's a far enough. more efficient way of doing it than with 3G or 4G technologies. And as more and more devices get used, and video conferencing now is taking off and it will carry on getting more mm. and more, and there'll be, there'll be 4K before you know it everywhere, even on, you know, people using it on phones. And, There'll be, there'll be gaming applications that gobble up bandwidth. They, they need an efficient technology just to just to be able to do it, just to be able to do it profitably, basically, which is not a sale to the consumer, obviously, but it's very important if your service is going to go down because okay. Vodafone can't support something and do it with decent profit margins, then you need a technology that can do that. But it's, it's almost like the energy efficiency one where... Yeah, it's a harder sell yeah. because you're not going to go, a, oh, a, buy our it's an infrastructure buy 6G efficiency because thing. it's friendly to the environment. Quite okay. I'm, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to move it on just because I've realised that we're running out of time. Um, what was the last thing? Oh yes. So, story I just wrote today, which is we got this thing, and I'm going to hand it over to Jamie in a sec because he's written a lot about this in the past. But the story I wrote today is basically there. There was a ruling about um, internet giants like Facebook and Google. So when we go on Facebook and, you know, we argue a toss over something or put up a picture of our kids or whatever on Facebook, that bit of data 
then gets shipped off to Facebook's or can get shipped off to Facebook's servers in the States. Yeah. Uh, and in principle, you're like, yeah, whatever. You know, I've, I've already stuck up in the public domain. What do I care what we do with it? But, the, but that data is still owned by me and I still have rights. And this um, Austrian guy, Max Schrems, for years has been arguing the toss saying, well, how can I be sure that my, I'm getting my Austrian level, my, my EU Max Schrems? Sounds like Max Schreck. He was a guy who played Nosferatu in right. the old sort of vampire film. I'm, I'm sure he gets confused for him all the time. Um, he, he sort of argued, look, I'm not, uh, where are my reassurances that I'm getting as much data protection when my data gets shipped off to the States as it is in the EU? Anyway, um, the latest development of it is a European court has overruled a European Commission decision saying that, that the, the measures that the Americans have put in place are sufficient. It's saying they're not. So that's a victory for Schrems. But, um, Jamie, why don't you quickly sort of recap? You've written tons of stories over the years on this. Yeah, so it, so it all dates back to, like, I can't remember it, I think, like, 2013 or something like that. The, 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 uh, there, was a me- there was a transatlantic mechanism called Safe Harbor, um, and that basically protected European data rights outside of uh, Europe, in the US in particular, this sort of, like, data corridor, um, because data is not viewed as a right over there. They might say it is, but if you look at it from a legislative and regulatory perspective, it hasn't. you haven't got anywhere near the same protections in the US as you do in Europe. Um, so uh, basically what they found out was safe harbour wasn't uh, a suitable mechanism to protect European rights. Um, so therefore they abolished that, and it was Matt Schrems who, who sort of like led the campaign against that, and they replaced it with something called the EU-US Privacy Shield, which was supposed to um, sort of retain European rights internationally. And then this builds into and it GDPR. With GDPR, sorry. Yeah. But, yeah, sorry, yeah. builds into GDPR, coincides with the amount of similar times that they actually implemented them and going through it. And eventually they, there's going to be something called the, the, the European Data Protection, uh, European data regulation or something like that, which is another step further beyond GDPR. So this this ruling from what I've done, a, sort of a very, very brief overview on it, um, is it effectively said that the Privacy Shield wasn't protecting European yeah. rights, it wasn't maintaining European rights in the US, so therefore should be abolished, and from and that removes the data corridor, the mm. transatlantic data corridor. So they've got to start corridor. again, basically, with all that stuff, haven't they? Start again, or data localization. Um, yeah. I mean, at the moment, it is illegal to transfer, uh, without these protections in place, it would be illegal for any US company to move, or any company whatsoever, for it to move... European data out of the boundaries of the European Union. So that includes to the uh, the UK, presumably, in six months' time when this Brexit window ends because we will fall outside the European Union. Mm. Um, so we've got to come out with our own little... We'd deal. have to sign some sort of uh, uh, deal with them. Like, for instance... GDPR is extended to Japan because as part of a trade deal, Japan agreed to implement its own version of GDPR and bring their data protection standards up. Um, So that's been factored into a lot of European Union and sort of like Japanese trade deals or Australian trade deals, blah, 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 blah. Um, But it's just one further step closer to data localization. Yes, that does seem to be because the 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 reason I forgot to mention this in my intro, the reason it got overturned is because of U.S. state surveillance activity. Yeah. So basically, they had a look at how the Americans and all that lot. Yeah, and how the Americans basically play a lot faster and looser with data when it comes to just getting hold of it. Yeah. Um, You know, I don't know. I don't know how much of a leg they got stand on when you think of that EncroChat thing where the French managed to hack a secure system in order to catch some baddies. So I think everyone does it a bit. Yeah. But this European court has decided the Americans do it too much for European taste. Well, there which, was, which there was stuff, all that stuff about them spying on Merkel a few years ago. Yeah, yeah they, they don't mind yeah. a bit of spying. Of course, it doesn't stop them throwing their toys out of the pram when they catch the Russians or the Chinese spying or whatever. But that's, the, that's always yeah. been the hypocrisy of espionage, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting that they identified specifically, um, you know, it wasn't just a that it, it, it failed to reach a certain bureaucratic threshold. It's that they specifically identified that they can't trust American sort of CIA or whatever. 
<coughs> to not start spying on European stuff if they get half the chance. Um, yeah. So, yes. <coughs> this is the thing that Deutsche Telekom has always sort of got on about, isn't it, when it's tried to present its own sort of cloud, you know, public cloud offering as an alternative to the big US players is that you can be sure with Germany's sort of strict privacy laws that your data will be stored within the EU and actually, you know, probably within Germany because that's where our big servers are and that there's no chance that it's going to be on a overseas system. So yeah. they've tried to make a big deal of that and I don't know whether it's really worked out for them in terms of, of growing their business, but it certainly doesn't seem to have. It might do more and more. I, I've got a feeling... Maybe will. I mean, we've chatted about this before when I've brought up things like... Um, <clears throat> like a censorship. In fact, it is very vaguely related to this is, is the Twitter story today, which I'll, I'll talk about very briefly, just an illustration of how insecure the cloud can be, which is um, that uh, someone inside Twitter basically granted hackers access to individual Twitter accounts, a lot of prominent ones, including Joe Biden, Barack Obama, um, Elon Musk. Yeah. And they tweeted out this thing going, Kenya if you sent... West. Oh, did Kenya get... Oh, they, they got it as well, did they? Lots of blue checks, so these verified ones. I don't even know what verified means, but it's become a sort of status symbol on Twitter. Yeah. I'm needless to say not verified. Um, and well, that means you're kosher, does it, or something? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it means, yeah, it means you're legit. Word, I mean, it's, it's, it's yeah. sure it's you, it's not somebody it's else. It's your halal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, those bits out. Yeah, they're sure it's you, whereas I, I could be anyone. Anyway, um, but and then, and then they tweeted out these messages to everyone who's following them, which is typically millions of people, going, "If you if you uh, pay a grand of Bitcoin into this account, I'll send you back two grand." Right. And some people did it, and you know it seems like a, one of the more crude yeah. bits of sort of uh, um, I don't know how we, how we describe it scamming anyway. Um, but the reason they're able to do it is because um, these hackers basically got hold of the back end, the, the admin console of Twitter. And so that the reason that's relevant to the story we were just talking about is, is yet another example of how, you know, if, if you've got data, if you're participating in, let's say, a US platform, and most of the big internet platforms are, then, and, and they can't even keep an eye on their own systems enough to stop this fairly crude hack happening um then that's another argument in favor of you know localized stuff as jamie's talking about or people like t-mobile coming up with their own thing to offer you greater protections yeah yeah but i don't think i mean that doesn't really like like t-mobile wouldn't be at any any safer in that scenario not necessarily but they could at least say that it hasn't happened to us yet yeah but that's like saying i mean that's like saying, you know, don't put your money in a bank because uh, one of the one of the t- uh, cashiers might give the keys to the front door to a bank robber, um, you know. Or well, but that would apply if if it had happened to Lloyd's, but it hadn't happened to NatWest or whatever. Then then you're going to have greater question marks about Lloyd's than NatWest. Yeah, I, I do. I there's a lot. There was a lot of people arguing about the idea of well, you know, how secure is Twitter? How you know should they use to you know this should be they should have two uh, what do they call it two factor authentication yeah. in place now? And it's like well, sorry, I don't know. Sometimes you just can't really um, prevent that sort of thing. Like there's nothing. There's nothing Twitter can do aside from vet their their employees more. You know, I mean, I, there's nothing system systematically wrong with the cloud there, and nothing system. Yeah, cybersecurity. There's no cybersecurity flaw in Twitter there. No, it that was just that was human error. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a fair point. I, I don't think it is necessarily the best illustration of 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 my point. Just a more a illustration of, I suppose, just the the, the fragility of the cloud in general. Um, you know, the other point. Um, that that I focus on in my story about is Twitter is more my little bugbear of censorship, which is there was a screenshot of of the console that one of these hackers shared with with the Vice magazine, yeah, and it bas it showed stuff you'd expect like a button to suspend people and a button to permanently suspend accounts. So they never erase them; they just have them in a state of permanent suspension. I, whatever, you know, it's a, a slight sort of tricky language there. But there were another couple of buttons that said. Um, search blacklist and trending blacklist. Uh, 
And what they imply is if someone's on a search blacklist and you, it makes them harder to search for. And if they're on a trending blacklist, it implies that it massively demotes them in terms of ever appearing on, on a trending topic, however popular they are, which is basically what people like um, James O'Keefe at Project Veritas have been saying for years about shadow banning, um, i.e. people having their, their message sort of muted on social media without them knowing. Now, I don't think you need to even be as into this sort of thing as I am to realize that's quite sinister. So you could be someone, you could even be the president of the US who has his troubles with Twitter. And they could decide to shadow ban you such that fewer people saw your stuff. So then they're making arbitrary censorship decisions just based on the fact that they're the owners of the platform. So that's just so another mis- example mis- of how precarious all this is. Massaging hmm? the content, yeah. Yeah, exactly. They, they, they talk and, and they'll use sort of Orwellian terms like optimizing the conversation and stuff like that. You know, it still always comes down to as any su- um, subject of censorship does is who decides. You may decide that that what Trump a lot of what Trump says is objectionable, and I wouldn't even necessarily disagree. But who are you to say that? Anyway, um, cool. All right, I think we've done about an hour anyway. Um, so I'll finish on brief Scott rant. So, yes, good to be back in the studio again. It gets a bit warm, though, doesn't it, this time of year? It's a bit warm. Um, But, yes, so we will be back in just over a week. Thank you for listening, and make sure you join us for that one. 